Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Good to see our family here today. Smiling, most of you. Those of you that aren't, I don't know what's up, but we can find out later. Good to see our guests here, too. We're so glad to have visitors with us. Um, take just a minute to spend some time with us when, uh, after the service is over. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better. You know, the most powerful fuel that drives humanity, that runs the engine of all people, is the idea of hope. Hope. Hope is not just a matter of religion or faith. In fact, we see hope show up in all kinds of walks of life, in all kinds of different areas of our life. Hope is what makes us plan things like a vacation. We look forward to doing that, and we commit our money to it, we commit our time to it, and we look forward to it because we hope that it will be a good time. Hope is what makes us go back to school. Yes, even tomorrow, Monday, right, for both students and teachers, i got to go back to school because we hope that as we finish that, we might be able to get a job or do something of that sort. Hope is what makes you start a new job and leave an old job. Hope is what makes you start a new business. Hope is what makes you ask somebody out on a date. Partly fear, too. Hope is what makes me go back to physical therapy because I hope that my arm will start working. Hope is when I want Tim to look at me so he'll turn my TV on back there. <laughs> look at that. No more hope. That's uh, no faith, no hope. That's reality now. Hope is what makes you become a Christian. But hope is not just this individual desire to make something happen. Nash's hope is that he can hang out with me right now for a little bit. You ever met a saint? Her name is Lisa. She, uh, she has to miss a lot of these because of the kiddos, but I, I appreciate her so much. So hope is not just this individual desire for things in the future. Hope is not just radically personal. In fact, hope is very collective, very organized, very corporate, so to speak. You know, every single time somebody wins an election, it's revolving around the idea of hope. 58 times in our country, we've had people tell us, I promise in the future, if you pick me, I've got what you need to make things right. People have said that both on the left and on the right. Hope is what um, unites people. It it's what wins elections. It's what drives people to energize, to do things, to change things, to make things happen. Hope powerfully pulls people together. And so we're in the midst right now of a series of teachings from the book of Ephesians asking one really important question about our time together here, not just in this day, but as our, we exist here in this place and the future of this place, Pickerington Church. How do we build a sort of unbreakable unity amongst each other? How do we receive from God a kind of unity that He, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit share to bring that into our fellowship so that we, as a body of believers, become not just people who hold on to each other or stay together until glory, but people who become a beaming light to those who are around us. 
We want to build fortified relationships in Jesus that are guarded against the attacks of Satan to divide the local church. We've learned so far that it takes a Christ-like character, that we've got to have humility and patience and long-suffering and love for each other. We've learned also that it's not just Christ-like character, but a shared central belief about certain things. That's what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 4, that there is one, seven ones in this passage. And we've learned that there is one body and that there is one spirit. And when you and I understand, believe, and live by these ones, it binds us together. Today, we're going to talk about one hope, a shared hope of Christianity. There's something really interesting about Christian hope. We see hope show up in every walk of life. It's everywhere. Hope is all over the place. It's not just religion that offers hope, but Christianity does have a particular unique hope that we need to understand and live by, and if we do, we'll be united together. Let's start, first of all, with understanding this. The Christian hope is a really, really simple hope. It's not overly complicated. It's not complex, How it's going to take place can be a little bit mind-boggling, but the offer of Christianity is really simple. So the question is this, what does Christianity actually promise you? This is is an interesting thought exercise. If you ask some people, uh, I've asked several people this, what does Christianity actually promise you? And you find out there are a lot of answers. The Bible itself has all kinds of things, it says, that God promises us. And I think I want to rattle off just a few of those because the Lord may want somebody in here to know a particular thing that God has promised to you. For example, Christianity promises unconditional love in Jesus Christ. Salvation for those who come to Jesus and believe in Him. It promises rest for a weary soul. It promises that all the things that you experience in this life, yes, even the unpleasant ones, will work out for that which is best for you to those who love Jesus Christ. Christianity promises a new life, a new start in Him. Christianity promises peace that passes your understanding can be found in the connection to God. Christianity promises the strength that you'll need to do everything you've been called to do And Christianity promises that God will supply every need that you would have in your life. There's all kinds of promises, and there's many more. But in our text, Paul brings us to a central idea. He says there is one hope. One hope. He prayed about it in chapter 1 that we would see it. He told us in chapter 2 exactly what it is. If you look in verse 12, he said it this way. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. This is going to get to what the hope is. At one time, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's the condition we were in before Jesus Christ. And he says, there's an answer to this. So here's the two elements to what Christian hope really is. It offers this. First of all, it offers the presence of, of God the presence of God did you know the presence of God was mankind's very first possession Adam and Eve are in the garden and that's the very first thing they have before they have anything else is the presence of God that he's with them that he walks with them and it's the deepest longing of all of humanity we long to be connected to that which we belong to and God is that being 
God desires that too. God wants us to belong to him and be one with him. He wants his presence to be with us as much as we want to be with him. We see that in Adam. And then, as I mentioned, the nation of Israel gets formed. And we see as they're brought out of the uh, land of Egypt, God says, I want to form you as a nation or a kingdom of priests, all of you to be priests. That's what God's desire was with Israel, that they would all be priests, meaning all have connection to God. They hear the voice of God, they're scared, and they say to Moses, hey, this is too much for us. You talk to God for us, Moses. And so God works through Moses, and it's unfortunate, but they are disconnected from him. And we see it go on from that point, that God's presence then shows up. And we see it then in a particular group of people from the lineage of Aaron who would become priests, who would mediate for people, but not all the people were connected to God. And God's presence then shows up in the tabernacle and then the temple. And then we get this promise that there's going to be a temple that comes where God will dwell, that will reconcile all of us back to God. And that becomes Jesus Christ himself when he says that he dwelt among man that word is he tabernacled he was god amongst us and as he died was buried rose again he said it is to your benefit that i go away so that i could send the spirit the helper to you and in that promise jesus said this me and my father we will be with you the presence of god that is our hope We see this now in Colossians chapter 1 when he says this. Paul said, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Here's the mystery that was unveiled in the first century in Jesus. Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. What he means is, in glory, the deepest longing is we will finally see God through Jesus Christ as he is. We'll be in his presence Revelation tells us there'll be no need for a son anymore because his very presence will be the light that we have. He will walk among us and talk among us. The presence of God will be with us. That is the very first promise of Christianity, that God's presence will be with us fully. The second promise is this, that God will perfect that which is now broken. There are two things that are broken in this existence of ours. Two things. First of all, it's the place we live. I think we all can agree as we look around over and over, we see examples of brokenness in our world. We see collective sin. We see suffering and disease. We see things that are happening in our environment that are detrimental to people. Over and over. And here's the promise the scripture makes. God says, I will make things brand new. The promise is that there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. God says, I promise Because of Jesus Christ, I will make all things new. I'm going to perfect this broken world that you live in. Romans 8 tells us this way, that creation itself longs to be released from its bondage, meaning this, that it's subjected to sin and the curse of sin just like we are. So the place that we live will be perfect then when Jesus Christ returns, but not just the place, but also the people we are. Christianity promises that who we are will finally be made perfect finally be made perfect will be exactly like jesus christ and these deep longings for a world to be perfect and for us to be perfect are the yearnings of humanity it's what people want it's what drives us to causes like social justice in this world because we want things to be better than what they are and we want ourselves to be better than what we are self-help is the fastest growing area or subset of writing in all of the united states right now 
you go to Amazon.com, there's something like 5.2 million books that are written about how to help yourself get better. We're obsessed with this idea because we know that we're not what we should be. And the promise of Christianity is this, that you will have the full presence of God, that the world in which you live will be perfect, and you will be raised to an incorruptible, immortal body to live in. You and I will finally be perfect. Because this is true, that there's a world of righteousness that to come, that there is a world that's going to be here where only righteousness dwells, Peter asks you this, what kind of people should we be if that's true? If there's going to be a world someday where only righteousness exists, what should you and I invest in? What should we care about? What should we commit ourselves to? How much of our building on our lives revolves around things that will be burned up and done away with? How much of our worries and anxieties and cares and concerns are tied up to things that in a few short moments won't really matter? How much of your energy and investment is into that which is eternal, that will last forever? You see, this hope is powerful because it's simple. It's also powerful because it serves us. It helps us. This hope has a dramatic impact on the way you live. When you understand that in Jesus Christ, the presence of God and the perfection of all that is broken will be made right, when you understand that it changes your life, there are two things that rob you of real hope, of genuine hope. The first one is this, distraction. Distraction. You see, I'm speaking specifically to this audience here. Not just in America or in Ohio or in central Ohio, but in Pickerington. That for a long time in our culture, we have grown dull to Christian hope because we haven't needed it. We've forgotten how much we've needed it. We've grown dull and numb to the fact that we need a hope that is beyond the world in which we live. We've been given enough comfort, we've experienced success, we've had approval. We esteem things other than Christ, and we find ourselves yet, here's the problem, dissatisfied with that. Did you know right now, Americans are incredibly unhappy people? Stressed, worried, anxious, unhappy, depressed. That describes the American culture, and yet we bask in comfort. There's a website you should go to. It's called theglobalrichlist.com, and you put in your uh, income. I'll just do the... Ohio's uh, household income is something like 50, average household, maybe $54,021, okay? And you put that in. And you know that person in that house that brings home that amount of money is in the top 0.25% of wealth in the entire world. If you bring them $50,000 before taxes of $50,000, you are the 15th million richest person in the world. Double that. Uh, Violet Township just told us, it's not political, that we make $100,000 everybody a year. That, that's what the typical person in Violet Township makes. Uh, household. You are the 5.6th millionth richest person in the world. In the world. Why have we lost our urgency for hope? I'm not sure we think we need it. Paul said this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, 
But on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up a treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is, look at that last line, so that when you learn to be generous, you learn to take hold of that which is truly life. Distraction has killed our hope. The second thing is despair. Two ends of of the spectrum. There are a lot of things that can be really discouraging in life. A lot of things really difficult. Medical problems can be really discouraging. When your body is not what it ought to be and it hurts or it has problems, that can be really discouraging. You can lose hope. Sin problems. Sin that you commit is really killing and discouraging to your hope. Sin that is committed to you or against you can be discouraging to your hope. Confusion and doubts that we exist in, hurtful to our hope. But here's the deal. Christian hope does not just give strength, but it gives purpose in your suffering. When you suffer here in this life, when you experience things that are unpleasant in this life, it is like smelling salt for your soul that reminds you that there's something better to come. You see, Christianity gives you a framework by which you can understand your suffering. So if you're in suffering right now, your body isn't working right, your relationships aren't right, you're in turmoil and confusion and doubt and sinning or whatever it may be, and you're struggling, let those moments sober you to what is better to come. Paul said it this way in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now watch this. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why doesn't hope put you to shame? When you go through from endurance to character to hope and you're suffering, look what it does. He says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Here's what I'm saying, both from um, distraction and despair. We have forgotten the potency of the hope of Jesus Christ, which saves us. Christian hope sobers you when you are soaring in life. And it stabilizes you when you're sinking, okay? That's what Christian hope does. When you're soaring and everything's going great and you think you've got the world by the tail and you've conquered it all and you're the smartest in the room and the richest in the room and the most powerful, it sobers you to what really matters. And when everything's falling apart, it brings the pieces and holds them together. Christian hope. Sounds like a good hope. It's simple. It serves us. But how do we know it's going to happen? It's a secure hope. Here's one of my favorite things about Christian hope. It is absolutely certain. You see, most of the hopes that we talk about in life um, aren't necessarily certain. Some of you right now, all of you right now are thinking about one day, one week, five years, ten years in the future, and you're wondering what it's going to be like, and you probably have some ideas of what it's going to be like. You're thinking about it. You're dreaming about it. You have some vision of what it will be. But you're not certain that it's going to happen. I joke with college students when I meet with them that every five-year plan I've ever had has never happened. You know, like from the time I was 19, I had like, okay, in five years I'm going to do this. And then five, not one has ever happened the way I thought it was going to happen. 
but we dream about, we think about things in the future, right? And sometimes things happen and sometimes things don't, but they're not certain. Now listen about the Christian hope, the presence of God, the perfection of what is broken, that stabilizes us in this world, that keeps us connected to the Father. How do you know it's going to happen? Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's the reason. Two reasons you know this is going to happen. First of all, because of its nature. I am certain of the, of the hope of Jesus Christ because of its nature. Paul said it's a, or Peter said it's a living hope. And here's what that means. Every hope I have that is not the Christian hope, I have to breathe life into it. If I want to buy a certain house or a certain car, if I want to get a certain job or I want to have a certain relationship, I have to show up and I have to breathe life into that hope. I've got to bring energy and effort and all of this to execute that. And if I stop, if I have a hope of being president of the United States and I stop working towards that, that hope is gone because it's not a living hope. I'm giving it life. You with me? The Christian hope lives without us. You don't breathe life into it. It breathes life into you. It stands. It exists. It will happen regardless of whether I want it to happen or not. So I don't give this Christian hope life when I understand that it's certain it gives life back to me. How do I know that? Because of its source. Remember, here's what Peter said. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is the power of God that took a man who was on a cross and in a tomb and brought that dead body back to life. And there are all kinds of evidences that you should look into to know that the resurrection is true. We see the transformation of weak apostles. We see the fact that there's an empty tomb. We see the fact that Pilate himself couldn't disprove it. And this simple belief spread like wildfire throughout the whole world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical reality. And because that happened, you can be certain of the Christian hope. You see, here's the reality. Your feelings will come and go. Your faith will rise and fall. But the fact that Jesus Christ raised from the dead stands firm whether you like it or not. Now here's why that's good news. Because the power of God raised Jesus from the dead. That means the power of God will make this hope happen. So you get to enjoy this hope. That's why Paul said it this way. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. He's saying this, I am fully convinced that every investment I make into the kingdom of God the power of God will hold until that day when Jesus returns and we are resurrected and all things are new. Is that hope impacting your life? Is it changing you? Is it secure in you? You see, this hope is a good hope because it's also a shared hope. When you and I in this room come around the belief of this hope and the practice of this hope, we will begin to live life together underneath this hope. We'll encourage each other. We'll pray for each other. When we're soaring, we'll remind each other. When we're struggling, we'll pick each other up. All revolving around this hope. And when we share this hope, the body here at Pickerington will be united, walk together, and we'll share not just hope from Christ to us, or not just from us to each other, but we will share hope 
from ourselves to a lost and dying world. If there's somebody here struggling to not really connect with what this hope is, to not have the reality of this hope in your life, that's what we're here for. We're going to sing this song right now as Rodney comes up. If you need help, won't you come as we stand and sing?